Welcome to bizpod.ninja, your central hub for business wisdom from rockstar entrepreneurs, CEOs, VCs, corporate development gurus, and more. Join us weekly for Truths from the Trenches with your host and business ninja, Andreas Penna. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode number eight of bizpod.ninja. I've got a super special guest here today, and this is the first time that I think I didn't botch the transitions and the software. Uh, so that's pretty awesome. We've got Ariane Rashad here from Tremble, founder and CEO of Tremble, based in Miami. How are you today? Good. How are you, Andres? Doing well. You know, managing as well as I can as anyone else. It's a tricky time for California. We, with the quarantine, we are kind of back in pseudo quarantine. So how are things with you in, in Miami? Yeah, I mean, as you know, we have probably the highest number of cases in the country, yeah. the world right now. We are probably on less of a quarantine than you guys, but things are slowly starting to open up. Restaurants are still closed, nightclubs are still closed, and many other businesses are open at minimal capacity or half capacity to sort of try to bring those numbers down and Hopefully we'll start to see the light and turn the corner at some point, but we're just trying to stay safe and sane here as well. Yeah, that's just absolutely nuts. How have you been managing coping yourself, keeping yourself busy? Yeah, you know, honestly, it's been a good time for reflections as for most of us, as you'll probably come to hear in the podcast, you know, fitness is a pretty big part of my life. So I've tried to keep that consistent and going throughout the entire pandemic and have something to look forward to every day. With respect to the business, it's always been, it's been an opportunity for us as a company to pivot in many different aspects of the company and right. to, yeah, just to look at the company and take a look at ways we can improve the company and move forward. Amazing. So we will definitely get into those details uh, in the main interview. So let me just tee you up now for your bio. So Aryan Rashad is the founder and CEO of Tremble, a chain of boutique Pilates studios in Southern Florida and growing rapidly. RN focuses primarily on strategy and vision, as well as oversight on operations uh, in the company. She and her team work with a wide variety of clientele from beginners to professional athletes, celebrities, Olympians, Victoria's Secret models, Miss Universes, and more. As a former lawyer who started the business out of passion, Aryan has used her skill set to scale a company without taking outside capital and learned to pivot the business during the pandemic. Uh, as well as enter into a virtual fitness space. She holds degrees from University of California at Berkeley, Stanford, and the University of Miami, and wants to use her education and experience to continue to empower women to enter into entrepreneurship space and give back to communities she works with. So, wow, what an impressive background. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> Appreciate that. Which brings me to my first question. You know, obviously, you're formerly a lawyer. You have uh, great credentials. Uh, but tell me, how did you wake up one day from being an accomplished lawyer with all these kind of, you know, academic accolades to becoming a Pilates and, and fitness entrepreneur? Yeah, it's kind of funny. You hear from all these entrepreneurs, which I'm sure you're going to interview, and they, they knew they wanted to be entrepreneurs since they were three years old and they were selling widgets when they were three years old. And you're going to hear these amazing yeah. stories. And I'm the opposite. I actually thought I was going to be a professor. So now I've become a teacher in a different way. I was very academic uh, focused 
And frankly, when you get to law school, it teaches you what's fair and unfair, which is very different than customer service. <laughs> and, but throughout the years, fitness was always something that got me through life, good times and bad times. And it was a constant in my life, no matter what I was going through. And then basically I got down to Miami and I thought that I could have this, I had this ideal notion that I was going to after law school. Yes. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's where you, where you stayed, right? Yeah, I, I took the Florida bar and I was, and I thought to myself, and after I had gotten my feet wet with a little bit of practice, I thought, well, it would be really nice to have a, a you know, passion project on the side of Pilates studio, not knowing that running a business was going to be a lot more work than I ever thought. Yeah, so um, you're a full-time lawyer who had a side business. Yeah, a side hustle, side like business. just hoping put a little bit of money into it. Maybe hopefully it'll, it'll become something, you know, at that time I wasn't even focused on growing the company. I didn't really know how to, you know, manage a business at that time, but you know, I got involved in it and it began to grow and I learned basically business and customer service on the spot. It was through experience for me. It wasn't something I'm not, I don't come from a family of entrepreneurs. And so but I come from a, a family that's very supportive. And I think that mm -hmm. was the ingredient to being able to, you know, be successful in the, particularly in the initial stages, because as you know, entrepreneurship has its highs and lows. So to have a solid support system as you go through, especially the initial stage of the business is, is key. Right, um, right. So it started off as just a, a side project. In fact, the first location that I opened had in, had an office in the back. So I thought I was going to be able to do my legal work from there and then teach Pilates and then be able to go back and forth all day. Um, but I soon learned that the business was going to take a lot of my time and I very much enjoyed it. I enjoyed connecting with communities. So that's kind of the, you know, the story behind how I got there. Just a passion project on the side. That's interesting. So how did the conversation go, you know, when you're at your law firm saying, by the way, I'm also, how did they, how did you pair the fact that you're full-time as a lawyer with, I'm also starting this thing on the side, or did you, <laughs> just, it's interesting for professionals out there who many people want to do things in parallel. For exactly. me, that was all, always the tricky thing. How can you balance both and what do you say and what you don't say? Like, how did you, what did that look like? That process from parallel tracking both to eventually leaving? Yeah. So I think it may be, it may have been regarded initially as like a, you know, a sharp right turn. But for me, it really wasn't because fitness had always been a really big passion in my life. And like I said, I think for me, the key element of all of this was to have a great support system. And so when I said, you know, this is something I want to go for and try, it was actually people supported me because they saw my work ethic. And yeah. they knew that like they, I think when you go into business, it, people are the, it's the human element of it and right. what you're going to do with it. And so people knew that I had a passion to win. And it, if, even if this business was not quote unquote successful, that I would give it my all that time. And so I had a, I had, I was lucky to have a very supportive network to get into it. But I think from my peers, it was like, oh, well, you know, she's <laughs> one day she's in federal court and the next day she's <laughs> the Pilates class. <laughs> Sounds kind of crazy. But uh, it was fun because in the initial stages did, of the business- Did you invite any of your fellow uh, colleagues to take a class? You know what's so you, funny? Did you keep those, a firewall? Those programs were full of my law colleagues. They're like, you can come into Tremble any day of the week and you're going to see people from all walks of life. That's the fun part about coming in. And so all my friends who were lawyers and even judges would come in and support the business. And I, it was amazing. It was so much fun. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. 
So tell me, how is building a fitness company during a pandemic working out? I mean, this is, you know, and it depends whether you're a brick and mortar. I've seen, and I'm, I've invested in a few, you know, different fitness companies, some online, some kind of, you know, actually they're all virtual, but, but I've seen both companies that have, you know, traditional brick and mortar have to pivot. I've seen, you know, a variety of ways for fitness companies that have had to just understand the macro environment of COVID and adapt. And we had an episode two, Fritz Landman of ClassPass explained how they were uh, pivoting. How, how is building a company during this time going for you? Uh, I fitness. think, uh, look, um, the fitness landscape is permanently altered because of COVID. And some things for better and some things are a challenge, obviously. Yep. Uh, yep. I think that, you know, brick and mortar, the you know, a lot of people come in for the experience, the people, you know, it's like the boot camps of the world and the cycling studios of the world, the sexiness, the appeal is being shoulder to shoulder. And the unique differentiator is also about, uh, you know, the sense of community and being shoulder to shoulder. I don't think people were thinking that virtual was going to create the sense, same sense of community that yeah. it would prior to the pandemic. And there were players in the space that were already sort of moving in that direction, like the Pelotons of the world were right. uh, moving towards that direction. But I think a lot of people have been, you know, this forced a lot of people who normally would not, you know, download Zoom or, you know, get behind virtual uh, fitness to actually download it. So I think that people have changed with their sense of, their sense of community has changed. I think brick and mortar, mm -hmm will come back, no doubt about it. I still think people want to be around people, but not to the same extent. I think there's gonna be a much, we're gonna see a shift. And that's why I said there's gonna be, you know, I foresee that the landscape will change permanently um, because of this, because we're gonna see a shift of people that normally wouldn't have gone into the virtual space now open to being able to do that. And the, you know, byproduct of this is that we've seen so many great products come out that support that as well. So for someone like me in the space you have, and as an entrepreneur, you have to learn how to pivot fast. Right. Um, and so, um, how many locations do you have? So we have four locations right now. Got it. Down here in South Florida. Mm -hmm. And, uh, one of the, you know, what, one element that we began to explore was the, you know, we, our bread and butter was always group class model, but we were very lucky with respect to fitness because we're on reformers. Uh, you have your own dedicated reformer. You're not sharing weights. You're not sharing straps. Are these uh, Legree reformers or are they? Um, so these are just our regular reformers. They're, they're, the studio has, we got, we purchased these ones from Legree. Yeah. So essentially we were, we moved towards a smaller group class model. And we also, because they wanted us, the government mandated half capacity, we were doing every other reformer, but we mm -hmm. were a very lucky studio in the sense that we're already kind of built for social distance. You know, you have your own dedicated space to be able to do your workout. And then we cut capacity. We did every other reformer. And then we, so we cut the size of the classes. We offered privates. Now we offer smaller group classes. We offer duets and trios. So these become like the bread and butter now of the revenue source, as opposed to like the mass group classes that people like love. And until we get back to that place, yeah. this is where we need to be. So we had to pivot very quickly. Um, what we do in the studio is still so unique. I think that it's not as easy to be emulated at home. I mean, are you doing any mat Pilates? I don't imagine many. I mean, I love Pilates, by the way, a big fan. Yeah. You're the one that 
introduced it to me and, and I continue to do Pilates uh, several times a month today. And I've always thought about how amazing would it be to have one of these machines, but they're not, I mean, they're like, they take space and they're expensive. Yeah. So how do you, how do you bridge folks who want to do Pilates at home with your virtual class if they don't have a machine or you just focus on folks who have machines at home? Yeah. So it's unlikely that you're going to have a commercial size machine like this in your home, like you mentioned. Yeah. But the, what we did very quickly was in addition to the privates and in, in addition to the smaller group classes is that we launched a virtual platform mm -hmm. where you could basically, we emulated the workout at home. So in the initial stages, we're like, I mean, if you can remember, I mean, if you would try to go online and buy a pair of like weights or bands or, you know, an inflated ball, you couldn't even get those because those were all sold out. But now the world, there's more supply and things coming in. So we got savvy quick. And so we, if, if people didn't have gliders at home to use, we asked people to use towels. If people didn't have weights. What did you call them? Gliders? Gliders, like the little round sliders that you can put underneath your feet and do lunges and uh, move your feet. Okay. And, uh, I'm sure you've seen them before. Yeah, I've seen them before. So that's kind of like a, a, a Pilates hack that you can have at home for Pilates. Yeah, they're, they're amazing. You can do. I had um, no idea. <laughs> You can do, basically, you know, you can do all the lunges, you can do all the exercises pretty much with particularly the lower body with those little round discs and they're nothing, they're like 10 bucks. And then, you know, for those that didn't have weights at home, we asked people to grab water bottles. For those that didn't have mats at home, we asked them to grab towels. Yeah. Um, so we got creative really quickly and we, we wanted to engage our staff in this process too, because, you know, we, our people are the essence of what we do and we wanted to, you know, maintain our culture. So the entire staff rounded up, they got around it, they, you know, created the same, mm -hmm. basically we offer the same type of workout that you would get into the studio at home. And now that the world is sort of starting to reopen, but that like there's much more robust virtual and digital software to work with now, now we have the ability to, you know, go in, create really nice content and be able to put it out there um, in the studios, as opposed to, you know, doing this at home with people's iPhones, because we couldn't, we frankly, we couldn't get people into, it wouldn't be fair to ask people to come into the studio during that time. It was dangerous. So we didn't do that. But so, so we, you know, we got together very quickly. We put out a bunch of videos. We had our um, very loyal. Where are, these, where are these videos? So they're not live. They're recorded or are you doing live as well? We did both. So we, for, well, for the lives, initially we did Instagram because that was just a quick way to get the people, but Instagram's not a great way to like save videos and you can't add yeah. music because you'll need licensing and everything. So then we moved over to our own platform. We use Vimeo in the background um, for high quality videos, but now we have an even better uh, platform that we're launching. So, you know, each awesome. day we learn and we try to get more innovative and you know, it's a thinker swim mentality. I mean, I see so many, sadly, and no judgment against any of uh, my neighbors. It's difficult. You know, you're, you're faced with fixed costs like rent and payroll, and you have to think quick. And some people made the decision, you know, to close their studio. So yeah. I see a lot of, I see a lot of fitness studios closing. For me, that also means an opportunity because if they're closing, then they, you know, want somewhere to go or they want, you know, someone to connect with. And yeah try to bring those clients, you know, over to us yeah, in a yeah. genuine, authentic way. Wow. That's incredible. How do you manage? So one quick thing, given that you're brick and mortar, how do you manage like the rent aspect? Are, are landlords more flexible these days or, you know, it just, that's such a huge fixed cost. It's and I imagine that's probably cost. the biggest reason why these fitness uh, studios are closing down. 
I mean, absolutely. I mean, if, you know, we, because of the, the number of machines we have per studio, we already, we have scalability issues. So I never, even when going out there and choosing which spaces we took, I was always very careful about like not overextending myself in terms mm. of, you know, rents that I knew that I couldn't afford. I really knew and analyzed like how much does the business make? What, you know, where's our w wiggle room? Mm. However, COVID, you know, for anyone like to go from, it, it, it was a, you know, hard stop. No matter how you, highs and lows in the business, a hard stop, You're, the doors yeah. were shut. But fortunately, I have really great landlords and I built really, I built uh, goodwill with the landlords over the years, never missed a payment um, over the years. And so it's a negotiation. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's about using your um, skills, uh, skill set to go out there and to negotiate on behalf of your business. For some, I know it's harder than others, but it's always, you know, and it's a compromise because at the end of the day, I think people always remember the way that you, um, treated them during a difficult time. And that goes for both ways. So it's sometimes it's a compromise, yeah. other times it's a negotiation. So fortunately with my landlords, you know, I went in and I had, this was when the lawyer hat went off and, you know, a lot of you, it's, it's a one-on-one -on -one conversation where you say, you know, I know you're in a tough spot and you know, I'm in a tough spot. What can we do together? And that's, this is like the essence of the times that we're living in. And this wasn't like about the law and this wasn't about what is said in the lease. And this is not what about, you know, what you could possibly do. I, yeah. I always say that to folks, like whether you have, a, you know, contracts and all this stuff that just sets precedent for certain things, but yeah. you know, just like in life businesses, everything that can be is, is fluid. And just because something is here today doesn't mean a circumstance hasn't changed, which means that you might have to like a jazz ensemble, just figure out how to resolve your situation and no one could foresee COVID in a pandemic. So just because, you know, all that goodwill and what you were saying and, and, and your legal years prior is pretty fascinating because it just shows that, yeah, you, it doesn't matter what you have in the contract. If everyone's kind of hurting, how can you resolve things together? That's win-win. And that's what yeah. real entrepreneurship like that's a real, uh, a really important lesson to learn. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, no doubt that there's going to be a permanent impact on the retail space right now. I mean, you see, if you come down to Miami, if you drive down any of our main streets, you're going to see, you know, businesses have gone out left and right. Yeah. So a tremendous amount of retail space available for those that if they want to bring back the business or if they've learned to pivot the business or they thought of a new business, there will be, you know, a significant decrease on, I think, yeah. um, on those types of retail spaces, it may not affect other markets, like maybe high-end luxury markets, but certainly, you know, for us and the brick and mortar space and the retail space, there's going to be a, a lot of opportunity to yeah. be able to, you know, gobble up space yeah. if that's what yeah. people are looking for. Interesting. You know, that's, that brings me to my next question. What's the biggest learning lesson from your pre previous ventures and how is that re reflected in Tremble? You mentioned your law background contracts and negotiations that was one any other kind of salient things that you in your pre previous endeavors that you think is a, a core ingredient for your success today yeah i mean i think for me the number one element of being able to get through these highs and lows is is resilience i think that is the key element to being able to get i i think the true it's one thing when the business is very successful and you're learning how to grow and you're making connections and, you know, it seems sort of linear, even though it's not inside, it may seem linear on the outside, but it's really about resilience. It's like, it, I think this time in particular, the pandemic 
I, the way I see people pivot their businesses, you know, redirect their partnerships, get behind digital, understand their numbers yeah. a little bit better. That's the true essence I, for me of an entrepreneur. It's not like when just times are, you know, you're just flying through and everything's just going perfectly. It's the ability to adapt. It's the ability to take a chance and a risk to predict, to maintain your Problem integrity. Yeah, yeah, but it, it all boils down to resilience. And at the end of the day, you know, we, tr you know, we we're trying a lot of different things and if it doesn't work, then we redirect. So I think, you know, rejection is an opportunity for redirection sometimes. And uh, that's something that we've been, you know, we've tried to do, Hey, you know, if this doesn't work, then we're going to go back to the drawing board and try something else. Okay. If this doesn't work. Yeah. One of the reasons, you know, tremble, the name tremble was born prior to COVID, but uh, tremble itself has two meanings for us. Yeah. I mean, them is that you know there's the obvious element physical element that you tremble when you do the workout and you shake but tremble also has a connotation of fear and where there is fear mm -hmm. there's an opportunity for transformation and so that's you know some people don't look at fear that way they you know think of fear as a bad thing or they think about being you know or it is a bad thing but i think that that's an opportunity for, for transformation and i that's something that we you know take into consideration i love that i love that no that's awesome i fear is definitely a, a fuel uh, a bit of fuel for me. So exactly. Uh, I, I use it as rocket fuel. Yeah. Um, a couple last questions. We're at the tail end of our, of, of the show, best piece of advice, um, you can give to an entrepreneur. And then is there anything specific that you might give to a, a woman entrepreneur? Is there a difference or is there an additional piece of insight you may give? Yeah. You know, I, these are great questions. I guess a, a piece of advice I would give to any entrepreneur is to like, for me, I think one of the, one of the things that set me apart from my competitors or people who sort of died down very quickly is their, their relationship with numbers <laughs> and to really understand and to be able to go back. And, you know, people say to me, lawyers say all the time, you know, they, I didn't go you know, I'm a lawyer because I don't like numbers. You know, they say these kinds of things, but numbers matter at the end of the day. People do too, by the way, but it's, you have to have a reality check and you have to go in and really understand like what things cost, how to negotiate them. You have to be able to understand the big picture of your company to be able to grow it and be able to really make changes. And I understand that there's risk involved in all of it, but I think like for me, the reason why I was able to grow uh, a brick and mortar fitness without taking any outside capital. People always ask me like, how did you not, you know, take any money is because I really learned how to budget very early on and to prepare for growth. And I, the, I mean, I grew with my own essential lean startup. Yeah. Cause you, you learn how to reinvest and you learn how, and when you sitting with a certain amount of money in a bank account, you have to learn how to be creative and you have yeah. to learn how to be innovative. And that's one of the reasons I've personally been able to re retain control over my company. And that's been important for me because as I grow, I think that will be something that's uh, important. If I decide to bring people on, it will be an under my own terms. And if I decide to, and I can choose how I bring people on, I think people go into um, this world very quickly. Um, they're vulnerable. They don't know who to yep. trust. Um, yep. I mean, I hear about company structures all the time that don't make any sense to me. Simply like if I had gone back to the drawing board and said like, how can I, how do I understand numbers better? How can I, you know, basic accounting, get back, getting behind that is so, so important for entrepreneurs. There's an idea, but there's gotta be a powerhouse behind it. So I think that's important. Okay. And for, I think the, you know, the uh, female entrepreneurs out there, 
So uh, my experience so far, I've, I'm in a business organization. It's a global organization. I've, I think we've talked about it before. It's called EO, dominantly men. So like my business group is there's, you know, maybe 10% women or less. But mm. I would say that I've had a very positive experience because I've surrounded myself around people, no matter who you are yeah. and what you do, I've surrounded myself around people who support women and female endeavors. And I right. also take the time to get to know other female entrepreneurs as well in all different stages, you know, whether it's, you know, their startup or they've, you know, excelled in their career and they're in a different way to really connect um, mm. with women, I think is really important and to continue to support one another. I, everyone always like prior to COVID, I would always have um, lunch with my competitor down the street and people couldn't believe yeah. see us together um, yeah. at lunch all the time. And we'd sit down, we discuss numbers, we discuss clients, we discuss promos, we discuss collaborations. Yeah. Um, so we, like she was my competitor theoretically because we shared the same clientele, but we grew together. And so I think doing this together is actually a much better way of doing things. And that doesn't mean that, you know, spill your secret sauce and, you know, you show her all your financials up front or anything like that. Yeah. But I, my experience has been to almost like you guys are representing industry and in, in your microcosm. Yeah. Yeah. And putting yourself out there. I mean, it, sure. There's going to be the naysayers in every, yep. you know, in every uh, aspect of your life. But my experience has been one where I haven't had to lead too much with my gender. I've been able to lead with my experience and education right? and people respect that at the end of the day. And if, and if I'm a, a woman as a byproduct, even better, you know, I love to say that I love that there's diversity on teams. Yeah. We are women powered in our organization. There's probably 48 women in total and a couple guys that support the women. And I love that, you know, that, and that's always been the process. So I think it's about, I have a, I, I try not to have a complaining mentality. I think it, it's a, a negative one. And I try to live um, in the present and if yep. there needs to be change, it needs to be done in the right way. And so that's just, that's always been something I've been, you know, proud of. And I think that the, the women that work within our company, they prove themselves in, in their own right without having to march forward with just, you know, gender, there's experience and there's tact, there's education and community behind it. So that's the credo I live by. <laughs> I, love, I love that advice. A lot of great insight there. Final fun question. We have uh, <laughs> our live audience. We have Bianca who has asked, uh, why did you choose Pilates specifically as your? Oh, good question. Yeah. Um, and which is a great question. I actually don't know why I've never asked you that question. Yeah. Um, Pilates is transformative in that it, everything comes from the core. So it's a workout that it, it's high intensity, but it's low impact. So you could, it's got longevity in the game and uh, it's, oh, it's no matter what body part you're working out, whether it's arms or legs or shoulders or back, whatever body part you're working out, you're always working with your core. That's the essence of where we are. And I love that it's made for people who have like, you know, that, like I said, like you mentioned in my, in my bio, yeah, you can be a beginner, you can be a professional athlete, you come in on the right. same page in Pilates. <laughs> this is, everybody's on the same um, page when they walk in. And that's one of the things I try to remind everybody coming in. And you, can and you can moderate it real time with yourself, how the intensity or how much you want to exert. So it's like real time. It can be like the hardest exercise in the world or, you know, a more laid back one if you want. That's what yeah. I found to be pretty compelling. Yeah. 
it's body um, changing and it's also very emo it's also like there's a psychological element of it that i see both in, like i said and, and anybody who comes in that it's like the strive to get better each and every day and i mm. love that element of fitness and i love that mentality in general you know okay. be good at a lot of different things and i have professional athletes all the time come in they're like i'm just so good at what i do and i can't believe this is happening to me right now <laughs> but then they you know they get the hang of it and the great thing about Tremble is even, that- Even NFL uh, football players, I know. Okay, uh, yeah, NFL football players, basketball players, um, hockey players, boxers, soccer players, Olympians, they all come in and it's a challenge from the get-go. And then yeah. there's this, and what I mentioned earlier in the podcast, like within embedded within all of the people that come in, there's always this, it's an extra elevated work ethic with a mentality to win. And the people mm. that come in are a self-selecting group of people who want to um, really be the best version and the strongest versions of themselves. And that's an element of the, you know, of my life and fitness that I am attracted to. And so I want to be able to spread that in communities. And so, and it's fun, you know, being awesome. able to go, yeah, being able to go out to like, you know, out and about, and there's this common work ethic of like, yeah, we tremble. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Ariane, thank you so much. Yeah. You're, you are a true business ninja in the uh, final <laughs> form. Thank you for sharing, you know, all the truths from the trenches and wisdom from your background. Incredible what you've accomplished. I love yeah. it. Uh, thank you for introducing me to Pilates eight years ago. And uh, please stay safe there in Miami. Amazing having you on the show. Thank you. Thank you. You as well. Thanks, Andre. Stay safe in California. We'll chat oh, soon. Okay. All, I do, all I do is stay home and work anyway these days. Yeah. <laughs> Need well, to go to a lot of That's a lot of fun for everybody to listen yeah. to. Thanks, Andres. <laughs> Thank you. Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon.